Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast. Hello. It's the week of July 23, 2012. This is episode 157. Shaw, I'm Chris Bevelo, president of Interval. We're the healthcare marketing firm that puts on this podcast. Duh. With me today. With you today, Totes, Jackie Rotaco, account coordinator or manager with Interval. Nice save. Adam Meyer, creative director at Interval. Duh. What's up? What's the situ? What? Dude. <laughs> oh lord! Can we get through this? We've in 10 already lost flat? everyone. <laughs> we, yeah, we probably have. Can we do a speed cast? How did that all? How did the dude speak just start? Are we were poking fun at Jackie. Did she say something? D- no, she gave me a hard time for something. Like, uh, like I said, can we get this oh. going? Chris, She's like, yeah. Chris was dawdling around, <laughs> and, uh, and you're like, Are, is everyone ready? And I was like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, hello. <laughs> Toast to the situ. Okay, um, so we're we're we, we are remote. We're remote today, and we're we're using GoToMeeting, and we've got the cameras up. And all I can see of Jackie is this her peeking around this giant <laughs> snowball microphone every once in a while, which I, is like blocking the whole damn camera. She's got it right in her move face. It, otherwise, it <laughs> swings right in my face. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous contraption I've set up here. A couple of announcements. When you're listening to this, I'll be in Indianapolis, Indiana. How about that? First time there, Mm. I think. My first time there. Can't remember. I've been through Indianapolis. I've never been. I don't think I've stopped. No, not a vacay. I'm speaking at the... um, (laughs) What is it? I know. The the communication conference for the the Indiana Hospital Association on Tuesday, July 24th. So if Very you're cool. listening to this in the great in the Hoosier state, looking forward to seating you and meeting you. Um, what the hell is a Hoosier anyway? I mean, I know it's a... It's an animal. I don't it? think it's an animal. No, I know it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Hoosier hunting? I'm not sure what it means. That's a great a hunt question. It's like a, <laughs> it's like a snipe. A snape, you mean? A snipe. A snape, a snape hunting? You go Hoosier <laughs> hunting? Okay. Hoosh. And then... In uh, coming up in August, on August nine, I'll be in Little Rock, Arkansas, another place I've never been. I've been in Arkansas proper. I used to vacay down there when I was a lad in the Lake of the Ozarks region. Arkansas, not Arkansas, Arkansas, Arkansas. <laughs> there I'll be at Ashmapur, the Arkansas Society for Healthcare Marketing and Public Relations, doing the Joe Public doesn't care about your hospital extravaganza. <laughs> so if you're from Arkansas, looking forward to meeting you there. Hit us up. I. Okay, let's talk about a controversial topic, shall we? Yes? No? Yes. Okay. So this is an article um, that I found how... I don't remember how I found this. It's from Kaiser Health News. Uh, And the title says, New Frontier for Health Ads, Online Outreach. So this is one of those stories that we love to um, poke fun at a little bit. Uh, 
normally these are in the mainstream media. So Time or in our neck of the woods, the Star Tribune. And it's where um, mainstream reporters take a look at our side of the world, healthcare marketing. And it's kind of like they've uncovered, you know, Tutankhamun's coffin or something. They've just like, <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, did you know this? So this is all about how um, hospitals are using digital advertising. Okay. And so here's, here's kind of, um, it starts by talking about um, University of Pennsylvania Health that ran a Google and Facebook campaign targeting lung transplant, um, potential lung transplant patients. And it kind of talks about uh, Suzanne Sawyer, who I know from Twitter, I think, um, talks about how they, uh, let's see, 4,600 people clicked on the ads and 36 people made appointments for consultations. And then it says, Penn is one of a small but growing number of hospitals taking their advertising campaigns to Facebook, Google, and other websites. Can I listen to this stat? I can't believe this. Fewer than 150 of the nation's 6,000 hospitals use Google and Facebook to market services, estimates Rob Grant, Executive Vice President of eVariant, Simsbury, Connecticut-based hospital consulting firm. Now, when I speak about Joe Public, I am awfully hard on hospitals and health systems for not adapting to social media, uh, search engine marketing, uh, all kinds of new technologies and tools and channels. But I got to believe there's more than 150 organizations using Google or Facebook. Don't you guys think? I think so. I would have to. Of all 50 states, yeah, I would think so. Oh, my gosh. What percentage is that? That's like, what, 5%? Uh, no, less than that. 600 yeah, would be low. 10%. So it's like 2.5%. And that, and there's more than, <laughs> yeah, 2.5%. Uh, it's got to be more than that. But he, I mean, Evariant's a very respected company, so maybe he knows more than we do. Um, but the, so there's kind of two layers to this article. The first is the, oh my gosh, did you know hospitals are using this technique, right? And then there's a whole kind of sidetrack that we want to touch on, which is one of the people who is quoted in here is our friend, colleague, and client, Chris Boyer. Uh, And he talks about a weight loss program that Inova ran uh, for their uh, bariatric surgery. And he actually talks about how they had 300 people click on their ad uh, for Facebook, 30 people registered for a free weight loss seminar, and seven people had surgery. And this is what the article said. Quote, which helped the hospital make a $20,700 profit on that surgery in the second quarter of 2011. Okay, so Chris has gotten into some hot water (laughs) because he dared use the word profit. And I won't get into it too much. He does have a blog post that addresses this. Um, So there's kind of two ways to look at this. One is the disgustingly low uh, penetration rate of digital advertising for hospitals. Um, but it's also this reaction to both the technique and the, the, the broader philosophical discussion of hospitals using marketing um, to make money. Here is a quote in the story, okay? Um, well, there's a couple of them. But as concerns mount about wasteful health spending, critics question an approach that is, quote, about revenue generation, not about improving health. In the words of Elliot Fisher, director of the Center for Population Health at Dartmouth, quote, it saddens me to see an academic medical center go down this road. So he's talking about Penn. 
said H. Gilbert Welch, an expert on the dangers of medical screening. People should have a healthy skepticism and recognize these ads for what they are, efforts at persuasion that are likely to be unbalanced, which is, wow. You don't think very highly of your colleagues to say that. but um, And then Gerald Anderson, or Gerard Anderson, who's director of John Hopkins Center for Hospital Finance and Management, says, quote, I don't want Facebook to know what essentially are my medical needs, unquote. Uh, boy, I don't know where to start with this stuff. There's so much we could dig into here. Well, how about that last quote? If you don't want Facebook to know about your medical background, then you better not use Facebook or you at least better not try to update your family on what's going on on Facebook. Cause that's how Facebook works. <laughs> it knows, it knows what you're talking about and then uses that to market to you and ultimately uses that to, you know, I guess ideally to try to make your whole experience on Facebook, you know, better, you know, whether for better or for worse or for, if you want to look at that as evil or as good, who knows, you know, that's all in the eye of the beholder really. So yeah, you don't want Facebook to know anything about you. You better get the hell off of it, because that's what it's for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so Chris Boyer does a great job in here of trying to put this back on a road of can we talk about this like adults instead of getting all freaked out? I mean, his his first quote is some some may see it as an intrusion of privacy, but others say it's about delivering content that is more relevant to me which is where we would go, yes, hallelujah. So you're searching for weight loss options, and there's a hospital saying, hey, here are some options for you. Uh, He Mm -hmm. goes on to say that the goal was not to channel people into surgery necessarily, but to give them access to a full range of weight loss services. So why is that um, bad? Why H. Gilbert Welch or Gerard Anderson or Elliot Fisher is is that not about improving health or um, efforts at persuasion? I, I just, if people are searching for that, I mean, yeah. first of all, if you're worried about efforts at persuasion, look beyond Facebook because hospitals spend millions and millions and millions of dollars at that. So it's not just Facebook, it's mm-hmm. billboards and whatever. Um, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's sad. The uh, Suzanne Sawyer at the end says, um, because they're continuing to expand their digital marketing campaigns, quote, it's more responsible use of a hospital's limited resources than using expensive mass media advertising. Hallelujah. Boom. Hallelujah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Wouldn't you want them spending their money more effectively to connect with their audiences and demonstrate mm-hmm. their services? I, I don't know. I do. Yeah, and ser- seriously, and if your gripe is persuasion and your target is Facebook advertising or online advertising in general, man, you, you're missing the big picture in terms of, I mean, consider what hospitals and you know, health systems spend on lobbyists, for example, influencing policies <laughs> in certain areas. I mean, you want to talk about persuasion to the highest degree where you're making policies that influence all that impact all of society hang your hat there you know spend your time worrying about that not facebook advertising for the love of pete yeah yeah it's just um i mean i understand that these folks i think are coming at this completely from a public health standpoint 
Um, and their and their their problem really isn't with Facebook advertising or hospital advertising or hospital marketing. It's with our system as a whole. Um, sure. Because as we've said many times, our system is a market driven system. Hospitals and health systems are required to compete for patients to bring in enough revenue to offer the services that are required of them. Uh, until we change that and we want completely socialized medicine, it's just the way it has to be. So, you know, it's kind of a pipe dream to think that, hey, hospitals should be fine without having to go out and try to attract patients. Um, I, I just don't see how that works. But so that's the, that's one thing. The second thing is this issue that, that Chris got caught up in. He wrote a blog post on it. We'll provide you a um, link to it. And the title is, Is It Really No Margin, No Mission? And his blog post is more about how he's gotten flack for talking about how the hospital made money. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, he actually talked to me about this. He's like, what do you think? He's got a quote in here for me. But I said, you know, the simplest solution is don't say that you made a profit. Say that you made margin. Because for a nonprofit, it, it, it's... You know, it's theoretically not profit; it's margin. It, it doesn't change right. anything. It's semantics. Um, mm-hmm. But the bigger question, and where I think Chris and I agree, and see what you guys think, is um, we either need to do two things: one, we need to all accept that this is part of the business of healthcare, and be fine talking about it. Remember the the vice president um, who got in trouble for talking about hillbillies. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. She also got in trouble for talking about <laughs> business stuff, and somebody else has at a conference, and that's kind of where Chris is stuck. Either we all just need to grow up and say, look, this is what happens. We all know what happens. It's all fine, ethical, as long as it's done ethically, as long as it's done legally, it's part of the business of healthcare, and not feel like we have to hide <clears throat> you know, behind words and, and not talk about it. We either have to do that, or we have to stop doing it all together. Because the idea right. that it's okay to do it but not talk about it, that's a problem, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you guys think? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, did you have something, Jackie? Well, no, I was just, just going to say that's kind of the, is the right <clears throat> word, a double standard. It just kind of makes it even more, seems even more sketchy, even though it shouldn't. Well, I would like to get to that point too, Chris. I don't think we'll ever get there. I mean, there yeah. just just given the nature of the industry. I mean, there's no other industry at least not to this extent that you know, the the service or the, the product or service, you know, the end result could be death. You know, and ideally it's not. Ideally it's life. But so this is like the this is the only industry that's like literally a life or death outcome of of what we do. Um <clears throat> and people are just, you know, people are going to look at that differently um you know any marketing or is going to be bad in the eyes of some and i don't think that's ever going to change and you'd also have to question if it should change because maybe you know i don't know if i expect some of the best caregivers out there not just doctors but nurses and you know even people who aren't nurses you know whatever they do to you know that's what they do that and the angle they have to come from is kind of that if they if they love what they do is probably more of that humanitarian Mm -hmm. or that compassion you know, you know, approach. It's less about you know the business side, the marketing side, understanding that, um, and expecting them to understand that and accept it is probably. A, I don't want. I don't. I, I, I want. I want to say it's not realistic. I think real. I think that's wrong. The wrong way to say it. Um, but you know, it's it's a problem that we're always going to face. You know, until our system changes entirely. You know, if we become 
totally socialized or, you know, whatever happens. Um, even then, I don't know that we'll get away from it entirely. I mean, there's still going to be marketing to some degree um, in a different form. Well, the, I don't know. It's tough. It's, it it's is. a weird. It is tough. I agree. And the, I think the comment, though, there's one comment from Dan uh, Hinman, who I don't know, but uh, to Chris's blog post, I think this really has always been my kind of my answer to all that. Uh, he says, Chris, I read the article, the original article that we were talking about and thought your quotes were terrific. I'm not sure where negative feedback is coming from. Don't people understand that without profit or margin or money, whatever you want to put in there, that's my side editorial, hospitals can invest in new equipment, provide decent salaries and benefits, and expand services when needed. And and what's left out of that, which is maybe the most important at all of all, is if you can't make money on the on the procedures and services that you can make money on, you're not going to be able to offer the services that you can't make money on. Right. The cost shifting that goes on uh, in healthcare, folks probably aren't aware of the level of it. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, services that are not money makers. I mean, many hospitals don't make money on any Medicare. Um, treatment because of the reimbursement. Uh, emergency services also often don't make money. Primary care often doesn't make money. Uh, in some cases, maternity care doesn't make money. So there's all these services that people assume are just, you know, how can you have a hospital without any of those? Um, yet if they don't make money in the other areas, margin, extra money, call it profit or margin, that is able to transfer to support those services, community health, all of those things, Chris makes this point too, then they're not going to be able to offer those other services. So mm-hmm. um, it's not like the hospitals and health systems, the nonprofit ones, um, aren't walking away with bagfuls of money. You can make that arg- for, argument for for-profit um, hospitals and health systems or for the for-profit organizations that work with them, which would include pharmaceutical companies, med tech companies, ad agencies, hint, hint. We're all for-profit. <sighs> And they have to pay us. So again, when you think about, well, where does this go? All of those companies would have to go nonprofit if you really wanted a nonprofit health system. Uh, and boy, would a lot of people lose their jobs, payers um, in many cases. So not saying that's not the right thing to do. Just it's, it's very complicated. Yeah. I mean, these principles are extraordinarily easy to grasp when you apply it to pretty much any other industry and people wouldn't question them. Uh, mm-hmm. like a car, for example, you know, you don't, you don't question that a car dealer, that a car manufacturer needs to make money. Um, and you understand that a Lexus is costs what it does because it's a Lexus. And because what you get out, you understand what a Honda costs, what it, you understand what a used car costs, what it does when you buy it off Craigslist for 300 bucks. Those principles in the, the economics that goes into them is, is easy to understand easy to grasp it's just really when you introduce you know like i said the whole life or death thing and the whole fact that healthcare, you know isn't really optional you know you, you don't want to feel like you're not going to get help if you need help at some point in time and all these dynamics just make it they take they take all of the basic principles of economics and, and throw them right out the window because mm-hmm. it's like you people don't want to think about that in these cases yeah um it's just it's it's fascinating at times and frustrating at others. Well, and it's and it's not the only industry that that I think the the uh, agricultural food industry is similar in that you can't just let market yeah. forces drive it first of all because people would starve right. to death. 
Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of this mix of social, um, essential, and business. And there's a lot of controversy and issues on that side of it, too. I mean, all the subsidies we have uh, that go to pay people that really don't need it, especially at this point. But that's going way too far afield. Get it? Get it? Huh? Huh? <laughs> Air quotes. Yeah. All right. So we'll post those articles for you. We'd love people to weigh in uh, on those. Next up on the docket, uh, I think I found this. I think this was mine, but I knew, Adam, you would love this story. Uh, I think you would. It's from a blog or a website called All Things Digital. Uh, And this is a post or a story written by Tim O'Reilly, who's the founder and CEO of O'Reilly Media. And it's called Facebook, Google, and the Mirage of Engagement. So we spend a lot of time talking about engagement, um, which I think is fascinating because it's so uh, instrumental in what we try to do. This story is about how uh, it kind of riffs on what we've already talked about uh, of context and what's relevant for people uh, and how advertising on Google uh, really needs to be different than advertising on Facebook because when you're on Google, you're trying to solve a problem. And typically when you're on Facebook, you're there for entertainment, um, if you want to call it that. So what he's talking about here is the fact that Google is trying to move into uh, social media and actually try to increase engagement. And he's really upset about it. Um, He said, what's sad to me is that Google used to pride itself on the speed with which it helped you find the information you want and then get out of the way. Time on site, quote unquote, is a terrible metric for an information utility. So his point is Google's trying to get you to stick stick around. And his right. point is, no, you should be trying to get me what I need and get me out of there as fast as possible. That's why I like yeah. it. I mean, have you mm-hmm. read this article? Did you have a chance, Adam? Uh, I, I have not read it, but I have lis- uh, a couple of podcasts that I listened to have talked about it. Um, it, was, it made the rounds early. It was either early, earlier this week or, or when was it authored? What's the date on this article? Oh, I'm sorry. July 9th. July 9th. July 9th. Yeah. yeah. So I made the rounds over the last week. Um, but they're exactly, he nailed it. <laughs> That's exactly right. I mean, they're really moving away from their core competency. And, and you know, we've talked about this before with, with things like, um, you know, with Facebook. And I think the example we talked about in the past was when they started trying to dabble in deals um, like Groupon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they inevitably flopped. Uh, and you know, really one of the biggest reasons for that you know, most likely is because that's just not what people think about Facebook for. It's not why they're there. It is what Groupon was created for. And it is why people were there. Um, and it's, you know, Google is struggling with the same thing. The problem is that somebody else can, can, is, could potentially come along and eat Google's lunch here. And Facebook could very well do that. Um, only because people are spending so much time there and people are, are actually finding a lot of things there. Um, kind of proactively really when it's, you know, comes in the, in the form of sharing content. Um, but it does in many cases remove the need to search for some things, not always, you know, cause still if you're seeking information cause you're looking to solve a problem, um, you know, oftentimes those you know, typically that's not, it hasn't been proactively answered. So you do have to go out and search for it, but yeah, they're straying from what they were, who we think of them as and they're, I mean, you know, I guess they have been for a while really. I mean, Started off as a search engine, then they got into all things right marketing, you know, in order yeah. to 
you know, know more about us and market to us better. So there's a, there's a uh, interesting part of this that I, I guess I don't understand. And maybe I'm just not techie enough. He says, just to your point, Adam, this is what the author says. There's a real danger here that Google will fall into the Yahoo trap, forgetting who they are by pursuing the competition. Yahoo is a terrific content destination and lost its way trying to be a search engine. Might Google be doing the same and trying to become a social destination? My comment is Yahoo is a search engine before it was anything else. At least that's my recollection. It started off as a search engine. Uh, yes, a different type of search engine though. I mean, maybe, it, maybe that doesn't matter. Um, but it was the Yahoo, dominant. It was, but it was a different, the way that they, the way that they built their database was different than the way that like Google builds theirs. Yeah. Google has always been about, you know, a, a, a computer driven, um, going out on the internet with these spiders and crawling content and building a database based on that. Whereas Yahoo, when it started anyway, uh, was all about human curated content. Humans would go out and find stuff. They would add it to the database. They would categorize it however they categorized it. And when you searched, you would be searching a database that was populated by humans. Is that right? Are you sure? Spiders. Yeah, when it first started, that's how it, that's what it was. Interesting. Um, I thought it, it was... moved away from that pretty quickly because it needed to compete with Google. Um, when, you know, when okay. they decided search was going to be their thing. So it wasn't. I mean, my, I would have thought that it was not that it was human built. It was com- it was still computer driven. The difference was it just searched for things online, whereas Google came up with an algorithm that ordered its search by the popularity of the items. So the more things were searched, clicked, f- clicked on, linked to, the higher they would go up. So it reflected popularity in a better way than Yahoo could. Uh, let me. I'm checking on Wikipedia here because, of course, that's the definitive resource for all things <laughs> human. That is. I just want to make sure that I'm. I want to make sure I'm not spewing that crap. But I'm pretty sure that um, uh, when Yahoo started, it was uh, human. Well, maybe when it started, human initially, human filled content. But I think when it was the preeminent search engine, I think it had moved beyond that before Google still, but Mm -hmm. whatever. Did you know Yahoo was an acronym for something? I didn't actually know that. No, what was it? No, me either. It's an acronym for yet another hierarchical officious oracle. Obviously. I mean, I would have assumed that. I should have (laughs) known that. (laughs) That would have been my guess. All right. Well, Adam, while you look that up, um, we'll post a link to this. Uh, mm-hmm. Just more interesting stuff on how to engage, when to engage, um, that not all engagement is the same, not all sites and channels are the same. Uh, so you need to really be thinking through this a little more nuanced. Here, let me give you this little um, let me give you the little excerpt from the intro to the history and growth section of Yahoo. In January 1994, Jerry Yang and David Philo, I believe that's how that would be pronounced, maybe Philo, were electrical engineering graduate students at Stanford when they created a website named Jerry's Guide to the World Wide Web. David and Jerry's Guide to the World Wide Web was a directory of other websites organized in a hierarchy as opposed to a searchable index of pages. In 1994, J- David and Jerry's Guide to the World Wide Web was renamed Yahoo. The Yahoo domain was created in 1995. Blah, 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 blah. But that's the beginnings of it anyway. They actually, in 2000, they began using Google for search results. <laughs> that's Which funny. I remember um, because I, yeah. and I, if I don't, if I'm not mistaken, it was because they felt like 
they couldn't just rely on these directories, man-made directories that they needed to have. If people were going to use them as a resource, it needed to also be um, accompanied by this crawled type of content as well. So we don't need to belabor this much more, but I do think what could be going on here is this person wrote this article isn't old enough to remember that Yahoo started strictly as search engine went to and became a popular site based on content like Yahoo Sports, Yahoo News, um, and maybe became more popular because of that. Um, but it's interesting that he says that they're, that you know it lost its way trying to be a search engine when that's where it started. So well, maybe try to go back I mean, to well, that. Yeah, I mean, based on, based on the intro here, like I said, you know, when I read that little excerpt from the history and growth thing, it didn't necessarily start as, a, I mean, it started as, quote unquote, Jerry's Guide to the World Wide Web. So it was literally a man-made index of interesting things online, okay. which grew into a resource that was searchable, but not necessarily a search engine in the sense of like mm-hmm. what Google is. They were just, they were different things. Okay. So, but they tried to become, they tried to what seemingly logically evolve, evolve into what Google had become or what Google was, sorry. Um, not to what Google has become now. Uh, I just, so, yeah, I, I, maybe I'm wrong. I thought Yahoo was the dominant search engine, and then Google came along and kicked their butt. That's my recollection. But I, I they also were, remember. but I mean, they be, they did, they didn't necessarily start as that. I mean, the very origins, it was man-made, curated stuff. And okay. Like I said, then they brought Google in to be their search, their actual search results, their their crawled results. Okay, maybe there's somebody who knows even more than us. Who I'm has sure there's memorized the, the Wikipedia page. Well, <laughs> there are plenty of people who exist. know more than us on this, but I mean, a listener. Maybe there's a listener who knows. We're more fumbling can, through this. All right, come in. Well, we'll figure it out. One, this is one of those things where we have no clue what we're talking about. We're trying to understand live. No, I think that's sure, very think appealing I, to listen to. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that the origins of being man, uh, human curated content okay. is correct. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay, so one more story. And this is um, just this ongoing update of this interesting thing we have going on in our backyard. We've talked about it on the podcast at least two times. Uh, and mm-hmm. it is about a uh, experience, basically, created by the Mayo Clinic at the Mall of America. And when this was first announced, which was has been a couple years, I think, we were very curious because living here, we knew that it would be very difficult for them to create an actual clinical presence there uh of any you know unless it was something that was destination based literally because nobody in the right mind who lives around here would go to see a doctor at the mall of america because it's crazy right. it'd be like anywhere else if you want to know what it's like it'd be like if your doctor's at the airport would you want to go see your doctor <laughs> at the airport it's just so busy and hard to get around so what they've done is and i think we um when they announced this we talked about it they've created um a space called health, the Healthy Living Store and Health Clinic. Uh, Mayo is spreading the word about its growing list of services as it mulls an expansion at the nation's largest mall. Customers can stop in for a massage, purchase a heart monitor, and if they're in need of this is this one really stopped me. If they're in need of organ transplant advice, the outlet now offers that too. <laughs> I don't need to laugh. You just go down, it's go down blue light special and get your kidney on the aisle four. Oh, I mean, they off, they're that's offering health consultations, but that's one of them. Um, a consultation can lead to follow up appointments with a male health professional. Exposure to the mall's 40 million shoppers annually provides a vast pool of potential patients. 
This was so, a chance for us to do something a little different, said Jim Yolch, project administrator. Go ahead, So Jackie. no actual no actual treatment though in this? It's right. more just consultation and then a store? Okay. Right, right. You can get a consultation, you can buy a bunch of healthy stuff. Um it's officials say services are quick and geared toward the busy shopper. Most appointments last more than, more than an hour. Um, hmm. blah, 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 blah. So anyway, it's just, it's interesting that they're, uh, it's really not retail. I mean, it's retail, but it's like everything else in the Mall of America, kind of specialty retail, is mm-hmm. how I would put it. Um, the store sells everything from male clothing to active video games. Some are unclear about the concept. This sounds a lot, a lot like what Best Buy tried to do with, uh, I think it was called EQ Life about yeah, five years yeah. ago. I don't remember that. Yeah. Probably it, because it didn't last. It, it, it didn't. It, it didn't was last the, long. It was the same thing, though. They just had a bunch of weird stuff. Um, <laughs> they, seriously. And, and it was like they had a little pharmacy in there. They had healthy products. They had like a healthy drink store where you go get a healthy drink. Um, a lot of technology, obviously, because they're a technology company or store. Um, but but it still kills me that, I don't know, it's like maybe five paragraphs in. Uh, the Healthy Living Outpost, open, Outpost opened at the mall last August. Customers can purchase basic services like acupuncture and lifestyle coaching or opt for specialized offerings like physical therapy. Last month, Mayo added organ transplant consultation. What they must have thought there was a need. They must have found there was a need for it. I guess. How many people are wandering it's kind around of a the random mall? One. Yeah, going. Gosh, I could use some consultation on getting my organs transplanted. <laughs> I suppose it's broad. It's specific. That's what's weird about yeah. it. Well, I mean, how many people are in that? Well, we know how many people are in that boat, but I don't know. I don't know either. That's interesting. All right, then. I did a quick Google search Dead just air. a second ago here. Uh-oh, are you going to bring us air. back to the Yahoo Jerry's list? <laughs> no, well, it's an, it's an article. <laughs> it's an article we can, sh- we can share in the show notes because it's actually published on July 9th of this year. Um, and I just did it, found it with a Google search. But it's called Curated versus Algorithmic Brand <laughs> Safety. Um, but it talks about the origins of Yahoo. Um, and then when Google came along, and they specifically talk about how y- that Yahoo was cu- human-curated content. Um, and then Yahoo came along with their, you know, digitally curated content, and it all came to a head. So, did you hear anything we just said about the Mayo Clinic Healthy Living Store? Yes, <laughs> I'm just teasing. I think it's very interesting. How was it? I wasn't even reading that. It's a very. It's a, like it just read do over you need it at the end transplant? there. No, and it comes up again and again in this article. They talked to a person who who stopped in there about how she talked to a dietitian. And then it says, with the exception of organ transplant consultation, customers pay out of pocket for all services. So that's free? So they're offering free organ transplant <laughs> consultation. I wonder if they put that in their marketing. How the hell do you offer free organ transplant consultation? Which part are I mean, you all astonished you could... about, the free or the organ transplant? Well, b- both, I guess, a little bit. I mean, how do you even, I mean, what kind of meaningful information could you get 
aside from just general information about organ transplantation. I mean, it's not like they can tell you that you need an organ transplant by looking at you for free. I don't know. And I know we're laughing. That's weird. People from the Mayo Clinic listen to our podcast. So hopefully they, maybe they can clue us in, but um, (laughs) again, (laughs) I would love to know they launched with this. It sounds like they added it recently, which tells me they've got some kind of, they've got some kind of, market research well they're freaking them. brilliant people so i'm sure they <laughs> they know they know what's going on it's just at its at surface level it sounds freaking crazy it sounds really weird yeah oh they talked about their we have, maybe we can get if if we have a listener lie. if we have male listeners um who know anything about it maybe they would like to be on the show and come on and talk about it yeah Okay. Well, it's a very interesting article, so I, it would be interesting, I think, for others to read it and see what they think about it. But um, mm-hmm. we'll post that for people. It's been eons since I've been to the Mall of America. Well, there's a reason oh, to God. go. I, I stay. I actively stay away from that place. Yeah, I me probably, too. I've probably railed on that before, but if I mean for many reasons, it's way too damn big. You have to walk like a mile just to get to the other store you want to go to. And then I, I honestly don't even feel safe in that place. I don't feel safe in the parking ramp. I don't feel safe in the mall Jeez, itself. Jeez, dude. <laughs> Not that bad. <laughs> I'm never worried about that, but now I will. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that nice piece of PR for the Mall of America, we should probably end our... <laughs> Visit the store. I've never been an advocate for the mall. <laughs> Should we wrap it up? It looks like we're at uh, post half hour, so. Yeah, we should probably wrap it up. I eat. Sure. Well, for arrogant healthcare marketing bastards, this is Chris Bevelo. Jackie Ritacco. <laughs> and Adam Meyer. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week.